dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass for the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle, and let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, we return to Winefabet Street, where the letter of the day is Q. There are a lot of wine terms, regions, and varieties out there, but Q, well, it's a little bit of a tough one. In season one, we visited Côte de Chaume, so be sure to go back and listen to that podcast if you missed it. But today, we are taking your questions and answering them on Winefabet Street. White. a big shout out to Alfonso Leonardo Tasty for leaving this five-star review. Great, great podcast. Very informative. Makes you want to come back for more. Awesome indeed. Thank you, Alfonso, for listening and for leaving this fantastic review. This truly is the best way to show support of the podcast and to help let other wine lovers find Exploring the Wine Glass. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. To Wine for Bed Street. Happy yes. Monday, everybody. Happy Monday. And it truly has been a Monday. It it has been. It truly uh, has. It, it's it's been a it's been a long one. It's been a long one. Wine is definitely needed. Um, but for today, we are at the letter of the day is Q. And we tried hard. We tried hard, but we really couldn't find anything. Um, because we did Cote de Chambre last season so we didn't want to repeat that and then that is pretty well, much i have amazing. to say that was kind of tough yeah yeah that was yeah, so, yeah we did get a question on what was the toughest um you know Topic, right. and and i would say going back through my notes i believe so that was that was a tough one but it yes. was a fun one it was fun mm-hmm. but uh so i think we're going to just stick with every time we get to the letter q that each new season it is going to be customer or consumer questions. Okay? Yes. So questions. So what we did this 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 episode is we reached out to our social media and asked people to supply us with some questions. So that is what we are going to be talking about um, when we get into it. But for once, I'm actually remembering that we need to introduce ourselves. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I'm Debbie Giaquindo. I'm the Hudson Valley Wine Goddess. I'm a wine blogger and wine writer under Hudson Valley Wine Goddess. I'm the author of a book, Tapping the Hudson Valley, Day Trips and Weekend Itineraries Through the Hudson Valley. I'm a certified specialist of wine and a wine location specialist in port and champagne. And in May, I'm opening up a restaurant in uh, North Wildwood, New Jersey called Trio North Wildwood. And I don't know if I left anything out, but if I did... I'll think about it. Wait a second. I got that. We'll add it. We'll add it later. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I am your co-host, Lori. Uh, my husband and I own Dracina Wines in Paso Robles, California. I am. Uh, I can be found on the social media under both Exploring the Wine Glass and Dracina Wines. <clears throat> I am um, a UC Davis winemaking graduate. I am Psalm Day certified. I am champagne, <clears throat> excuse me, specialist and WSET level two um, certified. And I remembered them all. <laughs> <clears throat> and before we even get into our video, I'm drinking because it's very right, yeah. day. Oh my, I'm waiting. I'm drinking a Pinot Noir from the Willamette Valley. All right. I'm drinking the very first time seen in public. <laughs> I cannot wait to get my lips on that. Dracina Wine Shannon Blanc. And the only really reason why I'm drinking this tonight is because I opened it last night to do tasting notes for this and the new Cordeline Rosé. So tasting no it was tasting notes night last night. So that is what I am drinking. And are we ready for Elmo? We're ready for Elmo. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I know my A, B, C. Next time, won't you sing with me? Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. They like said letter of the day is Q for questions. Um, All your questions. Yes, and I'm going to start off with the question that Michael has asked in the chat. Yes, I, yeah, I see that too. Okay, so and it's, it's actually a good question because I think it's really a, a um, what's the value of it? I think it's a personal thing and, and where you want to go in the wine industry with it. I, I agree with that. Um, for my realm, I wanted to do the WSET to see the wine world from the other side, not from the industry side, right? So I have the UC Davis winemaking um, degree, so I know winemaking. I wanted to see it from the other side. Plus, WSET is the world, you know, like, you know, regions and things like mm -hmm. that. Uh, so I definitely think it's all your personal drive. How much education do you want? Do I think WSET gives me anything, you know, like, you know, street cred? In some areas, I think people look at the WSET and, you know, you get that street cred for it. Um, and there are different levels. So the higher you go up, I think the more credit you get for it. Um, you know, WSET level one is very, very basic. I think it's a day class. Um, WSET level two was um, nine weeks. Uh, and then WSET level three is nine weeks, but then, or it might be even 11 weeks, but then there's a tasting component. And then you have the diploma. And, you know, that's years of, of studying. Um, so that's how I yeah like I said, it's how how what you want out of it so I did the certified specialist of wine designation right. through the society of wine educators and when I looked at the two of them basically I, I didn't have the time at at that point in my life to go into New York City for the amount of time for the for the WSET so I chose 
the CSW where I could go drive an hour after working full time. And it was just an hour, you know, drive and, and come back. So, and, you know, I'll never forget my class when I walked in and there was like 20 people and I'd say 80% of them were all like taking it for the second or third time. I'm like, holy cow, I'm never going to pass. And I passed on the first time. So, yeah, I think I don't, the, the CSW is, I think, difficult, the, um, very difficult. The WSET level one, I think has like a 99.9% <laughs> um, except you know a pass rate yes yeah. it's literally just very very basic stuff uh the wset is is like 65 percent i think and uh, level that- two and then level three it drops even further and then the diploma it drops even further so you know they're asking you for more yeah more and more knowledge um i personally am thrilled that i did the wset because it opened my eyes to a whole bunch of areas that I didn't know. Um, you know, you study the wine regions and you study the wines that come from it, you know, um, and it just, it puts a, the big picture of the world together. Do I use it? Not at the moment, but, you know, the knowledge is up here, you know, and they can't, they can't take that away from I you. I have to say the knowledge, even in the, the CSW, I mean, when you can speak it's it's almost like another language sometimes wine like you know you look at vouvray like we were talking vouvray beforehand the average customer consumer does not know that vouvray is chenin blanc right so you you know you can decipher certain things and just you know the, the things that I tell the customers at, at the restaurant when they come in with a bottle of wine and I'm opening it and it's you know, something off the beaten path. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, and I start talking to them. They'll be like, you know, how do you know? Right. Yeah. You know, it's all, it's all for what you want in your head. Yeah. 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 It would be on on what you want to get out of it. Is it, is it something that you want to do? Is it something and and why do you want to do it? You know, do you want to gain a better knowledge of just wine in general, wine of the world and, the regions and the terroir and the grapes and the growing seasons and things like that. Right. And I, I think that for, you know, like you can, I can get a job as a sommelier and not have gone through sommeliers, you know, not be, not go further than what I've already done per se. Right. Right. So, because if I'm on the floor selling wine, I'm a sommelier. Now I didn't go through, advanced schooling to be a sommelier. I'm not, I don't have the education title of sommelier, but if I'm on the floor selling wine, a sommelier. So I think all, all of these education things, I think that's exactly it. It's like going to graduate school. Do you want to go to graduate school to learn more or, or you're good where you are? Right. You know, it's really, I think a personal decision and what you want to get out of it and what you want to do with it. Right. Absolutely. You know. Uh, all right, Deb, you have a question for us? So let's see here. Let me bring up the questions that um, were asked. Okay. So here I have a question that, that came from someone about uh, rosé. Okay. Okay. So the different methods of rosé, and they get all confused on it when they see like the Sanjay method. Okay. You know, 
they want to know what exactly is it, how is it different from just, you know, just regular rosé and how it's produced. Um, <clears throat> so that was really their question. Okay, so technically there are three ways to make rosé. The first one is mixing a white wine with a red wine, literally white wine and red wine. That is not very common, but that actually is the way it is done in many areas. Um, you know, even, even in, you know, main rosé areas, there are some areas that do that. It's just not common around the globe, okay? The second method is sanye. Sanye method means, by translation, sanye means bleed, okay? So you're bleeding. And that's exactly what a sanye rosé is. So what, how I explain it is that you're getting two wines from one grape. So exactly. the red grape is going to come in. I'm picking that grape to be a red wine. So as a winemaker, I'm picking that grape to be a red wine, which is very different. What I'm doing then is I am pressing the grapes to get the juice off of the skins. And then that juice that comes out is going to be colored. I'm going to take that juice and I'm going to sell that as a rosé. What that does scientifically is give me more skin exposure to less juice. And that's where the color of the wine comes from. So now that I have less juice and more skins, I'm going to have a deeper colored red wine. I'm going to be able to have... So let me ask you a question here, though, with that. <clears throat> So they, you, you press it for the red wine. Don't you leave it in the, in the bin longer? Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. Right. So I have more skin, less juice, and that's okay. what I let sit there. And for the red wine. For the red wine. And yeah, that red wine. Sure on the same page. That red <laughs> wine is going to be a deeper color. It's going to be a fuller red wine. Okay. It's going to be that, per, you know, deeper, darker color. So I'm getting my red wine and my, and my rosé, okay? That's sanye, to bleed, okay? You cut, you cut yourself, it's a sanye, okay? The other way is called direct press, or the third way is called direct press, okay? Direct press is a completely different process in the fact that I'm picking my fruit to be a rosé, okay? So Dracaena Wines is a direct press. So when we pick our fruit, we are picking that fruit earlier than we would pick it to be a red wine. So this year's Cordeline is Grenache and Tempranillo. That was picked at a at a earlier time in the season than if we were creating a Grenache or a Tempranillo red. Okay, so the acid level is different. The ripeness level is different. I'm going to pick that at that higher acid. And then I'm going to I'm going to let it sit on the skins, and I'm going to press it. When it has the color I want, I'm going to press it off, and there's my rosé. And now all of those grape skins, that pomace, is done. I don't make wine with it. I'm pressing the juice off to make the rosé. So all I have left is the solids, the pomace, and that pomace basically goes back to the vineyard, you know, as as compost. But that, and that's why some rosés are so many different color uh, shades right. because it depends on how long they they soak it and then 
you know, it's a winemaker's decision based on what they're trying to achieve. And that's why you'll have some that are just like real pale, pale, like salmon with a touch of like pink in it. And then you, you know, you got the um, ones that are, are more uh, darker, more gray. pink. And pink. Yeah. And then it's, it, and like you said, it's up to the winemaker, what, what style they're looking for. Do we want to, you know, you know, what are, what are you looking for in that? Our rosé this year is pale. It is such a pretty color. And that's, that's you know, that's the winemaker's choice. We could have let it sit on skins longer, and then it's going to be a darker color. So, right. So that's three three ways to make a rosé. So you got a question? I do. So I got asked, um, how should I store my wine? What should I pay attention to? Good question. You want to start that, tackle that? Um, it's got to be in a dry place where there's no sunlight, so you can't have the sunlight interfere with with the wine. Um, humidity controlled. It's got to, you know, because you don't want it to, to spoil, to get too hot. And it, it should be temperature controlled, too. Um, where it's not going to get extremely hot. I mean, not everybody can afford to buy these really nice, you know, wine cellar things that are temperature controlled, but in a cool part of your house, like a basement with a dehumidifier going, you know, for people that, you know, need, need a place, I think that would be good. Um, but you really don't want any sunlight coming in. You don't want... Um, the want the wines to get a hold of any of that because that can really affect it. You don't think so, but you don't know how the the sun and is hitting that bottle and the whole temperature thing. Right. So, what do you think? I agree. Temperature is a big mm -hmm. thing, and um, the interesting thing is that it's not so much um, the overall temperature. Um, well, let let me backtrack a little bit. First of all, the majority of people. The majority of wine is purchased in today's world is drunk in 72 hours. So it doesn't matter where you store it. I mean, don't store it on a windowsill where it's 95 degrees outside and the sun is hitting it, obviously. you know. But if you're drinking it in, in three days, 72 hours, whatever, it doesn't matter. We're talking, these questions are usually for wines that you're going to store for a while. Okay, um, So the temperature is not as significant as the variations you don't want that wine to go from 60 degrees to 80 degrees and fluctuate back and forth that's very bad for the wine it's much worse than if the wine is just at 80 degrees okay now uh, we don't want it to have one at 80 degrees all the time but it, it actually is worse to fluctuate and a way you can tell if a wine has been stored and that has been fluctuated as the temperature changes in a wine, um, the volume of wine in that bottle changes. So if you get a wine that the cork is raised a little bit, it's not flat, mm -hmm. that's an indicator that it probably had some sort of heat or temperature variation. Okay, So that's one way to do it. Um, so we want to keep those temperatures stable. As Debbie said, no sunlight, 
You also don't want it to be near vibrations. So I don't know who's going to store their wine on top of their washing machine, but that's a good. That's not a good thing. Okay, so you want to keep it where there's no vibrations, where it's a constant temperature, or, or I'm sorry, a consistent temperature. As Debbie said, you know the humidity, and you do want to lie it down. You want to lie it down so that the liquid, the wine, can be in contact with that cork so that the cork doesn't shrink. And then if the cork shrinks, it's going to come in and then oxygen gets into the, into the bottle and the wine gets oxidized. Okay? Now, the variations in temperature, um, or I should say that's bad, but like just keeping the temperature at, like let's say, 75 right, instead of the 55 or instead of the 65, right, what that does is cut down on the storage, the ageability of the wine. So if the wine was going to be okay for let's say 20 years, if you're keeping it at a higher temperature, you're you're backing that down. It's no longer gonna be good for 20 years. You know, you're looking 18, you're looking 16, you're looking 15. So that's what the higher temperature does. But again, much worse to be this way than just a constant temperature. I also want to add, like, for people that get wine deliveries, whether it's wine clubs or you're ordering wine online, when that wine comes in, you want to store it um, on its side for at least a week before you even open it. Because just, you know, when you travel, you kind of get like all, you know, disheveled. So does the wine. So you want to just let it rest for at least a week before you open it. Um, and then Michael is asking about um, finding uh, 25 cases of Screaming Eagle. Well, um, you know what, Michael? First of all, as soon as you find that, you can invite Debbie and invite us over. over. <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of finding that, my best recommendation is to go to, um, you know, to a house, you know. I would um, say a wine benchmark. auction. Yeah, like a wine auction or a benchmark. Ackers. Yeah. We did that for Wine Studio, the Ackers auction in New York City. Yes. Yeah. Something um, like that. Yeah. So I would I would say that, um, uh, you know, Benchmark, Zaki's, J&L. No, not J&L. That's, <clears throat> that's my storage warehouse. Uh, J&J? No. J and something or another. J and K. They're out of Chicago. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, yeah. J and L is where we store our case goods. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I would I would go there, um, and uh, they'll know where. Oh, check out Acker Auctions because yes. they probably would have them. Uh, Melissa May in New York, uh, you know, a, a house a house like that. Okay. Um, all right, Deb, got another question? I do. Um, I was asked. I purchased a bottle of Chardonnay one year. And the next year I purchase the same bottle, different vintage. Why do they taste different? Mother nature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Different growing seasons. And I, and I always tell people when, you know, don't, because you don't like it, you know, one year, don't not go and taste it the following year. Like if you go to a winery and stuff, because the growing season affects the grapes so much where you have a banner year, you're going to have a incredible wine. And the next year you might get a hurricane right before your pick, you're picking. So the grapes are filling up with water. So you're going to have a 
lighter, more diluted type of, of wine. And it's just an effect of the growing season. Right. Or because it's going to rain, you have to harvest earlier than you typically would harvest. Right. So in a red wine, you're going to have a wine that is a little bit more green because mm -hmm. it's not as red. So it, as Debbie said, you know, don't give up after one vi one vintage. Although I will say if you taste it and it's, you know, it's a not corked because corked is something different, but it's just technically not a sound wine. Well, that's probably... Well, <laughs> You might not want to go back to that winery. But, you will know. You will know that because yeah. that, that will be, you know, yeah, strong. Corked, but you know, is a whole different story. But if you, uh, you know, if it doesn't meet your expectations the following year, it could. It really could be the growing season. Yeah. And 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 I would ask, you know, if you're in a winery tasting, those are questions to ask. If it's something that you purchase in the store, well, don't go back until the following season and purchase. The next the next vintage right and so that's going to lead me into my my next question is what exactly is cork and how do you know if it's corked well you get that smell <laughs> ah that smell you get that um wet dog wet type type of smell wet cardboard is how I always think of it. So if you take a box and you put it outside when it's raining, that corrugated cardboard, when it gets wet and it's all like yucky, if you smell that, that is that is the scent of mm -hmm. corked wine. Um, yeah. And it is a microorganism that causes it. It is TCA, um, which occurs, you know, which just naturally occurs. And that does not mean that it's sweat a socks. bad wine. <laughs> yeah. Michael says sweat socks. <laughs> sweat socks. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that does the cork does not equal technically unsound wine. Okay. Um, technically unsound wine is high volatile acid. You know, or just <clears throat> unevenness uh, of the wine. You know, the acid is super high, the fruit's really low, or vice versa, or you know. Um, you know, you can have wines that are really high in residual sugar and you taste it and you're like, oh, right? That's technically unsound. You can have that same wine that has a high residual sugar, but the acid is also high and it balances out and it tastes wonderful. Like a sauternes, okay? Um, though that's technically sound. TCA is a technically sound wine that the cork was flawed, okay? And what's the best thing, Deb, when you have a corked wine, what do you do? I actually dump it. <laughs> do, oh, but, but do you do any, do you let the winery know? Oh, I do. And and also if it's something I bought in a store, I will bring it back to the store. Yeah. And of course, you know, and, and, I, and, and I'm going to tell you right off the bat, you do get pushback from the store. But as long as you keep everything intact, you know, yeah, um, it happens to you actually dump it down the sink and then bring it yeah, back. Yeah, no, the but if that, that's just something, yeah, that's just something that, you know, I, I ordered or whatever, but, um, I actually had ate at a restaurant, um, and I got a cork bottle and I said to the server, you know, this bottle is corked and I got a lot of pushback. Really? Yeah. And, um, then she, she brings it and, you know, we ordered a bo another bottle of something else. And then 
she goes, yeah, the bartender did taste it and it, and it was off. But I'm like, I shouldn't have been made to feel like shit. No. And you know, it, it happens. It's, it, it, it happens. And the next, the bottle sitting next to the bottle that I had could have been fine. You know? Yep. Um, so if you do get a bottle, don't be embarrassed to tell the server if you're at a restaurant that this bottle is corked and don't be embarrassed to, to put the cork back in it and bring it to the liquor store because they will get refunded from, from the supplier right. on it. Right. So absolutely. As a winery, I always want to know that you had a wine of mine that was corked yeah. because my, uh, goal, yeah. mm -hmm. my goal as Dracina Wines, as a winery, is for you to enjoy my wine and for you to taste the best that I am producing. So if you taste a wine and you send me an email that it's corked, we send you another bottle. Okay. Yeah, I've had wine clubs that I have had a corked bottle and I have let them know. Mm -hmm. And they, they sent me out another yeah, bottle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because And sometimes I said, don't bother wasting the postage, you know, because I, I bought a case and I know it, you know, the other bottles were fine. This one wasn't. So right. it just it's just something that happens. Yep. It just it is just something that happens and the winery, every winery out there that is worth their salt is going to prefer for you to tell them that because mm -hmm. I much prefer for you to call me and say this was off and me to explain what cork is and to send you another bottle where you can taste what my wine really is supposed to taste like versus you thinking that that's what my wine is. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so that that is uh, absolutely do not ever feel ashamed to send a bottle back. Yeah. Um, you know, that is a very big different than I don't like. So if you're in a restaurant yes. and you order a wine and it take it tastes off, then you send it back. If you order a wine and you're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. That's, that's your wine. That's on you. That's yeah. on you. Yeah. Okay? There's distinct. You. There's distinct. Uh, flavors, smells, aroma, everything about a cork bottle. So they will know. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I've done that. We were in, um, I was in New York with a group of friends. I ordered a Cote de Rhone and that came, that bottle came and I pulled the cork and on the, on the first whiff of the wine, it, it was corked. I knew it was corked. Yeah. And just turned around, brought the waiter back you know said i this is corked you know and they just bring me another bottle you know yeah that's that's it there shouldn't be shouldn't be an issue it should be right away oh okay no problem right yeah and in going back to the cork it used to be a lot more prevalent it actually used to be at the 10 percent level of wines yep uh, not a lot of people can you know it's not really as common to detect it not everybody's comprehends that that is a corked bottle but a long to a while ago it used to be at a 10 percent um failure rate for for tca now with the new processes of how they produce the cork and how you clean the cork and how you do all that it is actually down to under one percent so it is kind of really rare that that you're going to find a corked wine now but yeah it's at like the one percent now so it's dropped quite a bit oh that's good Yes. And now, a word from our sponsor. Exploring the Wine Glass is brought to you by Dracina Wines. 
Dracaena Wines is an artisan winery located in Paso Robles, California. They have been producing wine since 2013. Their first vintage began with one wine, their classic Cabernet Franc, which received a 91 in Wine Enthusiast. Since then, they have increased production as well as expanded their portfolio, have received many accolades, including multiple double gold medals and consistent 90-plus ratings. Visit their website, www.dracinawines.com, or use the link in the show notes to schedule a private tasting and to see their entire portfolio. Purchase your award-winning wine and let Dracina Wines help turn your moments into great memories. So you're up, Deb. What question you got? Okay. So how is a wine vegan? Oh, God. (laughs) I just went off on... on I just went off on Clubhouse on this. Oh, did you? What were you on? What room were you in? I don't even know, but. Oh, I remember you were telling me this. Yes. Yes. Okay. So by definition, like how is a wine vegan? It's grapes. It's, it's the constituent of grapes, right? So it is water. It is seed. It is skin, right? It's tannin. It's all of that. It's vegan. Where it becomes non-vegan is is what the fining method. The fining method. Okay, so and this is where I went off because people. It wasn't so much the vegan aspect of it as people were very much. We should have a label deck for for wine. Okay, um, here's the thing. When I go to fine. I can I can put in um, Isinglass, which is fish bladder. Okay, I do not eat any fish. Debbie can attest to the fact that no fish ever do I eat ever. In fact, the smell of fish makes me nauseous. I drink my wine that's got Isinglass in it. Okay, because it comes out when you find the whole purpose, the whole reason of finding is to collect those particles, right, that you don't want in the wine, and it drops. So I can use egg white. I can mm-hmm. use the Isinglass. It, it conglom, right, conglomerates into this par- fatter particle, and then that bigger particle drops down to the ground, and then it gets filtered out. So you are, you are not drinking egg white. You are not drinking fish bladder, Okay. It's a process that is used in order to pull out uh, solubles out of the wine. That's all it does. And then it gets filtered out. So I have an issue. I have an issue with the vegan concept because, I mean, and technically, I mean, I get it, but it's not in the wine. So there's my little soapbox on that. Okay. Okay. Now the other realm, the other realm, the label deck that was where I really went off because people were saying that wine wineries and winemakers are trying to hide what they're doing. And that's why we don't want label decks. Okay. Okay. My response to that is the fact that what we have to go through legally to get a label is a little insane. Okay. Very, I mean, they regulate the size of the font, 
They regulate what you can say, what you can't say, what the picture can be, what this, what that. And the minute I change my label, other than the vintage, I need to get that reapproved. Okay. So now take into account whether maybe this year, okay, I use egg white to find my cab franc. But next year I use Isinglass or I don't I don't find it at all. That's a new label. And I've got to re get it reapproved. Okay. That's why we don't want to do that. And then when you add the label deck, it's all in percentages. It's very thing. Now you're bringing in the FDA. You're bringing in a whole <laughs> other regulating body. So now not only do I have to get approval by the TTB, I have to get approval by the FDA. We're not trying to hide anything. Okay? The wineries, artisan wineries, the majority of wineries, we're not putting anything in. There's nothing in that wine other than grapes. Okay? Yeast. And yes, yes. But the yeast come out also. Yeah, that comes out too. That comes out also. You're not, you know, unless you're drinking. Every now and then tartrates in the bottle. Right, right. Okay. So that, that's my, that's my thing against vegan or whatever is you, it's coming out of the wine. Yes, I might use an egg white, but you're not, if you're a vegan, it's all good. If you're a vegan because you don't want eggs being used, well, then I can't help you. You know, um, I don't really know why you're, you know, why certain people are, are, are vegan. I'm, I don't eat meat. I don't eat fish because I don't like the taste of it. Um, but you're not eating the the egg white or the or the fish. So Michael actually wrote, "How about winery states food coloring dye used?" I don't know any wineries that use food coloring. Mega purple, and you're talking about only the massive wineries that. Um, so going back to the original mass produced, right? Going back to that original question of why does my Chardonnay taste this way, this vintage, right. this way, this vintage. Without naming names, I'm sure everybody can think of a winery that is the same wine, vintage after vintage after vintage, the same color, vintage after vintage, vintage. There you go. They're using mega purple. They're doing other things that are making it the same thing because their yeah. customers require are expecting, expecting that, that. Be the same and those thing. are the wines that don't change year after year right. you can expect the same the same taste mm -hmm. the same aromas the same flavors right regardless right how they <laughs> we're not saying names um yes <laughs> all right so um so my next question is uh pretty funny because we have one what is meant by reserve? I think that that is dependent on the winery that's producing it. A reserve can mean something that is coming from a special area of the vineyard. It can be something that's coming from that special area of the vineyard and that's not blended with anything. Um, it can mean a higher priced, um, usually does. <laughs> yeah. But they, they either purchase the grapes 
a higher price. They come from like the premier, you know, vineyard growing, you know, they got the best rows in that vineyard, have you? So they're, you know, they're sourcing grapes from this vineyard and it's a, I, I want to use the Stalk Hill Vineyard and the Finger Lakes as an example, but that's a real sought after uh, vineyard. So, you know, grapes coming from them could have reserve on it for all I know. Um, so that's what, you know, I think it, it could be the winemaker special that they held per, uh, a certain lot back that was extraordinary in their, their mind that they picked from, from the, from the vineyard. And, you know, they call that reserve that might taste different than the same grapes three rows down because you don't know about the soil, how the sun hits it, what have you. Right. It is purely, <laughs> it is purely up to the winemaker to determine whether it is a reserve or not. There is no legal definition by what a reserve is same as there is no legal definition of old vine uh it's whatever that winemaker determines is old vine it's whatever that winemaker determines is reserve and i will share one of my all-time favorite stories of old vine uh we were in napa and we pulled up to this winery that is no longer there um, and he actually was going through a divorce at that time and was losing the winery, whatever. Um, but we pulled in and here this man is, true farmer, dirt on the hands, you know, got the pitchfork going, do it or the rake or whatever, doing all that. And we come in and we're like, can we taste? He's like, yeah, come on. He opens up the barn and he gives it to us and he pours the wine and I go to taste it. And he's like, this is my old vine. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, what, you know, and he's like, yeah, I planted these vines two days before I planted the vines. <laughs> I loved this man immediately. And then the next wine he poured, he said it was his reserve. And, I, you know, we were talking or whatever. And I told him, I was like, oh, it's a little bit tight. It, you know, it's young. And he's like, oh, hold on. And with his... <laughs> pre-COVID, obviously, with his complete bare hand that has dirt all over it. He takes the wine glass. He puts his hand over my wine glass, does this, <laughs> and says, now the reserve has aged five years. <laughs> I, I adored this man. Um, but yes, there is no legal definition of reserve. There's no legal definition of old vine, which is very different than vineyard designated estate or calling something an AVA. If you see an AVA on a label, if you see um, estate, if you, if you see, you know, a county, something like that, um, those are legally defined things, okay? To be a state, the wine has to come from that estate, okay? To be, in, to be um, a Cab Franc, it needs to be at least 75% Cabernet Franc. 25% of it can be anything else, but it must be 75%, um, you know, whatever that variety is. A reserve is what's special to that winemaker. So for us, it's that it's a single clone, single vineyard. That's why we call it a reserve, okay? But no legal definition. So complete marketing um, doesn't, doesn't really mean it's better or worse. It's something special to the winemaker.
Yeah. Yep. But that man, I loved him. That, that, he sounds great. He was awesome. He was awesome. And I sat and I drank his wine right after his dirty old hand went all. Because you didn't think twice about that. Now you think twice about just shaking someone's hand for crying out loud. I did look at Mike and go, huh, but okay, it's alcohol. All good. Yeah. All good. Right. Right. You got another one, Deb? Do I have another one? Um, Let's see here. I do. Um, How does the different yeast affect the tastes of the wine? Mm. Excellent, excellent question. So yeast is a living organism. And just like, you know, every living organism, you know, has its own and, you know, has its own characteristics. So does yeast. So there are, there are different yeasts. I is, I'm going off of menu, off of commercial. So I, I, yeah, I'm thinking different yeast that I want to say extract, I might not be the right word, different aromas and flavors from the particular grape. So it really depends on what the winemaker is trying to achieve in his wine. Right. So, so we know that there's two different types, right? Two different types of winemaking process, right? We can use commercial yeast or we can use Indigenous. indigenous wild yeast, right? Okay. So in the commercial yeast, I can go in and I can choose which yeast I want to use for different wines. So it's a different yeast for my Cab Franc than it is for my Chenin Blanc. My Chenin Blanc, I want tropical aromas i want you know flavors i'm going to choose a different yeast a yeast that is known to you know when it goes through the fermentation process that's what it does different yeast do different things at different alcohol levels okay so yeast are very dependent on that alcohol level and they shut down at a certain time if i'm in a stuck fermentation knock on wood i don't get one if i'm on a stuck you know stuck fermentation those yeast have shut down because the alcohol was too high. Let's say I need to put in a yeast that is like a, they're actually called super yeast, right? Because they can eat at that alcohol level. So depending on the wine situation, what aromas, what flavors you want to expend out of your, out of your wine or get out of your wine, you're going to choose what commercial yeast you want. And you're going to do that or combination of the yeast. Yep, that's, yeah, that's what I figured. So, do you have any more? Um, I do, I do. Um, How much does temperature affect wine when you're drinking it? Wow, it it can. Like, if you serve a white wine too cold, it's going to stunt the flavors and aromas. You're going to have to wait till that that wine warms up a little bit before you start smelling the true aromas of the grape and before you taste the true flavors of the grape. And the same thing goes with red wine. And then I think with red wine, you know, people, you know, especially in the summer, oh, red wine, and you have that bottle and it's sitting out. If it's out there too long, it kind of gets cooked. You're, you're, you know, if it's, you know, in the sun, if it's in the area, when you go to drink it, to me, to me, it's, you know, it's, it's not room temperature anymore. It's whatever the sun's beating down on it. So you really want to be careful now that we're coming into the summer months and you're going to have those barbecues, you know, and, you know, no, do not put the, the red wine on ice. 
just make sure it's in the shade. Make sure it's, it's just not by the sun because that will definitely affect the flavor. It almost gets, I don't know how to explain it. Um, it, it just gets too warm and the flavors just like Muted. all blend together and you know, it's just like a hogwash of, of, of stuff where you don't get the, once again, the true flavors. And then if you're pairing it with food at a barbecue, it's just, it's, it's not going to complement it. It's not going to do what, what you meant it to do. Right. And with red wine, if you serve it too cold, it actually brings out more of that tannin, that tan, that, you know, mm -hmm. that sandpapery thing which a lot of people who are just getting into red wine don't really understand and don't really like. And that, you know, they're like, oh, this is, I don't like this. Um, when it's colder, you're going to get more of that bitterness, more of that, that tannic structure. Um, so that's not good. And then if it's too warm, it's just everything is just muted. Um, and yeah. you're, not, you're not getting it. It's not, I mean, honestly, drink it however you want to drink it. But it's you're not getting the true expression of the wine if it's not at the proper serving temperature. Yeah, and, and the whites too, sometimes you're just gonna need to let it sit and you're gonna need to wrap your hands around the glass and go like this just to get it, you know, so that it, it comes out of its shock. Yes. Pretty much. Yes, um, absolutely. Um, so um, I have another question. Okay. Um, do you have another one since I went? No, you can go ahead. Okay. So um, in in relation to water, okay, right? So um, like we were asked, how does a consumer yes. know what they're drinking water-wise versus wine-wise? Okay. Um, and it, it's, you're not really drinking water when, you, when you're thinking of that it's watery versus more of a full body. So you're talking a, a um, thin wine, okay, versus a full bodied wine. That all has to do um, with the extraction of the wine. So the, it deals with the wine making process. You know, what is the acidity level? What is the mm -hmm. tannin level? That type of, of thing. Um, we're, you know, we're, you're, you're not adding water to to the wine per se. You know? And it could be the question, and I'm just going to use the hurricane issue, where the grapes fill up with water and they make wine from that. It's going to feel okay. like a more diluted Chardonnay or whatever, whatever the case of the wine is, than if it hadn't rained buckets. The, you know, a week before they picked it. Right. Yeah. So it's all, yeah, that's why we, that's why we rush to, to harvest if there's a storm coming in. It's, mm -hmm. They're going to have a thinner mouthfeel to that wine, but it's all in that wine making process. It's all, it's all, you know, what's that acidity level, the tannin level, um, how was, how much extraction was there? How much did the wine sit on the grape skins? Um, and honestly, what is the variety? You know, some varieties just lend themselves to be thinner wines than other varieties. But if you're comparing that same variety to that same variety, it's it's the winemaking process. Yeah. So we had some good questions. 
We did. We did. Yeah, we did. I still have. I have more, Deb. I do too, but you know, it, it's ten of it's ten of nine here. You know. All right, all right. I just I want to ask this last question because I get this a lot. Oh, Heather said muddled. Muddled, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, how do you get strawberries, cherries, blueberries? How does that get in the wine? You know, it, it's all the flavor compounds of the grape. I mean, all grapes are different, just like you and I are different. Um, and it goes to the yeast on what the winemaker wants to extract from the wine. Um, and also the age of the wine, because as the wine ages, and then you have your, your different flavors that you're getting from the, the barrel. Hold on, I just swallowed the wrong way. <laughs> <coughs> You know, um, the different flavors that you're getting from the barrel all come into play if it's barrel fermented. So there's a lot of different things that are added to, I don't want to say added to the wine. That's the wrong word. That's the wrong that's term. Exactly. It is not added. <laughs> there's a, there's added. a lot of, 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 my mind is going blank, but there's a lot of things that contribute to the flavor of the wine being you have that grape and what do you do with that grape you're going to add xyz yeast what does that yeast bring out in the grape then you're going to put that grape in the barrel and what does that do and then you're going to have that finished wine is it as it ages where i might drink it after two years you might drink it after seven it's going to have a completely different taste because as the wine ages just like a person ages, different things happen to them. And, um, you know, you might get now more stewed fruits or, you know, different types of things that, that happen. Right. You so, want to add to that? Yeah, just it, nothing is added. We don't add blueberry blueberries no, or blueberry flavors. It comes from the soil, it comes from the the life cycle of the grape, and it comes from the processing of the grape. And if you, you know, you know. It also comes from the air because you yep. get the salinity from the ocean. Right. You get the minerality from the soil. That's, that's terroir. Yeah. That's terroir. Okay. That's, that's where you're getting those flavors from. That's where you're getting that. And, you know, going back, so we'll end this with the very first question of the WSET. That's something that you learn in the CSW and you learn in WSET mm -hmm. in terms of primary, secondary, and tertiary flavors and, mm -hmm. and what that means and, you know, you know, the, you know, the primary versus secondary, the winemaker style, the tertiary is like as it ages, ages, you know, that primary, the fruit and all of that stuff. So, yes, that is terroir. Okay, we don't, unless you're drinking a blueberry wine, you know, we're not adding blueberries or, or strawberries or whatever. That's terroir. It all comes from the fruit. Yep. All comes yes. from that little, that little grape. That on little that. grape and the environment it's grown in. That's right. But yeah, so. so it is, it is uh, five minutes before wrap yep. up and I am thrilled, excited, so, so excited for Debbie to share what we're doing next month on Wine for Bet Street. Next month, it is Riesling. And we have Stu from Smith Madrone Winery. 
coming on. And I am just like so excited. I mean, his wines, his Riesling is incredible. I have, I have no qualms of saying it is my favorite American Riesling. It is. Without a doubt. It is elegant. It is. It, it's got pizzazz. It is just. I'll, I, I, I have had his Riesling before. I think it was like two years ago. And I had it at the um, pool at the uh, marina. And I was just like. Lord. It is, in my opinion, Alsace. It is Alsace, California. It is incredible. And not only is his wines incredible, but Stu is, to say he's a character is an understatement. I adore this. I can't wait to meet him. I have not met him. I've had just conversations with him on Instagram. It's like, great, you know? I I adore him. Um, And he will tell you how it is. And um, so R is for Riesling next month, and Debbie will have the link. Oh, I don't have the link. No, there, no, but... I didn't mean in the chat, but Debbie will have the link up. The on link the... is up on the website. It's on wifeabetstreet.com. So you can go there and register for it. Absolutely. And, so, you... and I can't wait till we can travel again because that's definitely a, a winery I'm going to go visit. Right. And if you want to place an order, they just did for the first time, they did a vertical. Uh, that you can purchase a vertical. I don't know if it's still available, um, but uh, if you you want to taste along with us and Stu, go to Smith Madro Winery and uh, purchase a bottle. I I have to, and I don't say, you know this, I don't say this very frequently. I don't think you'll be disappointed. No, I don't don't think so either. And I'm looking really forward to it. Absolutely. So. So. Thank you, everybody, for joining yes, in you. and for sending in the questions. This was a very different one from the street, but a fun one. And I hope we answered all of your questions. If you um, have a question that we didn't answer, please feel free to send us an email. Um, you know, it, you know, at uh, exploringthewineglass at gmail.com or hbwinegoddess at gmail. Um, yeah. And, you know, We'll answer it. That's what we're here for. It's yeah. all about it's all about fun, education, and making wine more approachable to you. That's right. So guys, have a great week and we'll see you next month. Cheers. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. Even in the Bible, give me the red, red wine. Give me the white, white wine. Give me the sweet, sweet wine.